Well, greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground Podcast. This is episode 93, Sojourning in Babylon. We are broadcasting live, well, live for us here in Blacksburg from the worldwide shedquarters of the Gospel Underground. I'm here today in person. We're on video. We're on audio with my good friend, Jesse Fury. Look at your camera. You're looking fine with that uh, style of sweater. It's a cardigan, right? Isn't that? <laughs> with whatever that style of sweater is that you have on. Well, you know, I have no style. That's been proven uh, time and time yeah, again. Yeah, I got, you know, it's cold in the mornings and hot in the afternoons. I'm actually playing golf today. Ah, very so nice. So I got my golf polo on. Very nice. Yeah, a bunch of playing but golf with a bunch of uh, Baptist pastors. So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm <laughs> assuming I'm going to be the worst one, but... And assuming there will be no 19th hole, I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, funny story. When we first moved here, um, we were talking about elder processes with you guys and your team. And I was like, hey, there's a sword over there in the corner right over there. And I was like, hey, you guys should give them a Bible and maybe give them something. Like we gave our guys a sword. And the first time around you guys did it, what you guys give we them? We gave them a cardigan. I know. My, kid, my <laughs> kids actually loved it. They were like, oh, that's great. Because you guys learn cardigans yeah, a lot. So yeah. holding up the... Uh, Got to represent the brand today. So, well, I hope your golf outing is great um, today. And uh, the Baptist guys are well behaved and there's no political infighting and the discussions on the golf course. You know, I think I'm with my Bonhoeffer house guys. So it's basically just we're playing golf around a bunch of (laughs) a bunch of my Baptist friends. If you were listening, raising money for, for a good cause. Uh, or just for social? It's I, just a social thing. I think it's just a social thing. Hey, I got to be honest with hey. you. I, I don't really know. I just was hey, like, I could play golf for 15 bucks. Right. There you go. And uh, and then I got found out, I got an email yesterday and they were like, okay, we're playing Captain's Choice. You know, and I was like, wait, is this a tournament? Are this, we, what is this, golf language? Are we trying to win? I, I'm not good. <laughs> the guys I'm with are worse than me. I would have gotten better players if I thought we were playing for something. Had a, had a few ringers in the golf yeah, bag. So show up. we'll see, but... Well, Jesse, last week we talked about uh, this Borderlands idea that's been important to our podcast. It's kind of important to the Gospel Underground that there's a mission taking place in the Borderlands, and there's certain things happening there. There's ideas that kind of can clash. There's people that matter to God, people uh, fighting with each other, uh, also trying to love each other. And then also worship is taking place, right? Our, our, Our allegiances are challenged, and that as people who want to follow Jesus on his mission, that there's a certain reality that uh, we have to be aware uh, of the times that we're living in and the cultural forces so that we don't become captives. So today, kind of part two on that, we're going to be talking about quite literally a story from the scriptures, uh, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, that talks about the posture and place of a people who are no longer just in borderlands, they're in occupied territory. Yeah. In other words, that uh, the British uh, preacher, late Pastor John Stott, said that the church always is preaching or existing between two worlds. And there's a real reality. I think in Western civilization, or certainly in America, there were kind of these assumed uh, cultural places. Because Christianity, America was founded on common sense re- reason, as well as religious faith. These two things were like kind of the mixture. The difference maybe between the French Revolution and the American Revolution mm. was that there was a mixture of, you know, Christian theology in the people, at least. Now, obviously, the, the state itself is not a Christian state. Sorry for those who think it is. Um, but America was founded with, you know, the influence of kind of enlightenment thought and Christianity, uh, certain, certain Protestant Christianity in New England, it's, it's in Virginia, et cetera. Um, 
the reality is that that kind of dominant place, I guess, for, you know, or assumed place, yeah. hey, we're Christians, we should have a place at the table, um, maybe is shifted or is shifting, maybe shifting today rapidly. And so we need to be wise and we need good examples for how we might live in a different kind of cultural context. So today, our topic... Yeah, go ahead. Can I jump in there and and just say, and and what I love about where we're going in these next few podcasts is um, is it's it's contrary or, or, uh, yeah, it's an alternative to what was seen in the the debate, which I think unfortunately characterizes some of maybe a lot of American Christianity, which is that, that when it all costs, uh, you know, really what what you're watching is you're watching not a civil conversation about what's best for our nation. You're watching just, you know, when it all costs, dominate, dominate when it all costs. And, uh, and, you know, I think in some ways, like you mentioned, we are so used to having a place of cultural and political power that, yeah, you know, seeing it slip away, I think has has led to a kind of win at all costs. We got to stay in, at the seat of power. Certainly, with certain kinds of support of maybe Donald Trump seems to lean uh, towards that yeah. interpretation. Yeah, you know it's uh, interesting, man. We we in two thousand and eight uh, we moved from Nashville, Tennessee, where I was on staff at a very large church, then kind of in this buckle of the Bible Belt, center of even you know all the evangelical yeah. influence of media, arts, you know, all kind of stuff there, to New Jersey. And man, I, when I became a Christian, I was twenty, and I didn't grow up in it, so I never, I never ever, I always felt like following Jesus was this radical, countercultural, revolutionary kind of thing. I never thought it was like the mainstream power of yeah. the, of the man, which in Western civilization it somewhat is at times. Uh, but I never viewed it that way. And in moving to New Jersey, we had this assumption, right? I knew one guy in the state. And, you know, the amount of Bible-believing, Jesus resurrected from the dead kind of Christianity is very uh, sparse in the northeastern United States. And uh, I just had this assumption, Jesse, that we had to operate. We wanted to be a people of influence that had no power. Right. And weren't, weren't there seeking power anyway. We were seeking to uh, follow Jesus, seeking a, a country or a kingdom that was not, our, not the, whose architect and builder is God. Yeah. How do you create a countercultural community that resists the powers of darkness and the, in the cultural hegemonies that exist uh, and carve out a place where Jesus is Lord, where we might influence other people, right? In the borderlands between the church and culture. And I remember when we launched out well, prior to launching the church, we were training our core team. And one of the convictions that I was led to in prayer, uh, a lot of times when you plan a church, you oh, let's go through Ephesians, right? It has what the, what the gospel is, what the church is. It's, I think that's what we did. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's probably the, should be probably the most recommended book. You, we, we would tell church planners to do that, right? Go through yeah. Ephesians. Yeah. And I remember talking to a good friend of mine named Ed, Ed Marcel, who's up in upstate New York. He asked what I was going to teach. I was like, you know, I'm going to teach the first six chapters of the book of Daniel. Didn't want to get into the apocalyptic, you know, predicting the end of the world stuff that people disagree about, but the narrative portions. Uh, and we called this little house church Bible teaching time sojourning in Babylon. Mm. And the reason why is you look at the idea of a sojourn, right? It's all throughout the Bible uh, that, that God's people are passing through. Even in the Old Testament, people seeking a land that God would provide for them, uh, find a home, right? And even they learn through their own disobedience and then exile that that's not even the final and ultimate home, that that they, are, they were all seeking a better country whose architect and builder is God. So this sojourning idea is all throughout the Bible. It's in Christian literature, in history, like Pilgrim's Progress, written by John Bunyan, uh, certain 
certainly the Roman Catholic, I believe he was Roman Catholic author, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings. There's a fellowship on a sojourn, on a quest, on a journey. It's not an allegory in any way like Pilgrim's Progress or even like the Chronicles of yeah. Narnia, perhaps. It's not an allegory. It's a story. It's a unique with all with Elvish, with its own language made up that my daughters learned as kids. Nerds. Um but well, this, how, how else do you get a 1560 on your SATs if you're not <laughs> Stop memorizing it. Elvish? Um, yeah, writing Elvish. And, uh, my, did you know my daughters created their own language that they talk to each other in? It's very weird. We can talk about that later. Um, but this idea of sojourn is in that story where they're on a quest together going somewhere. And hopefully the outcome is not death and darkness. It's going to be a different future. And certainly in the Bible, um, God's people's final place is not this present age. It is the, the kingdom wrought by the light, love, and judgment and conquering uh, of evil, sin, and death by King Jesus with the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, uh, uh, where at last at the earth in our flesh we shall see God. He, his, his way will be right. So sojourn, this idea of moving through, I think we need to understand our identity this way. Not that it's something we do. It's part of who we are as a people. Yeah. And then I think American Christians, whatever they're where they're coming from, need to understand that they're that Jesus didn't come right to to like hey let's let's um, let's just win all the political wars right now and 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 set up shop. God will do that in the end, but until then, He is uh, leading us as a people on mission through the kingdoms of this world, right? Until the day they become the kingdoms of this Christ. Now the problem is we can get very entangled. Now, sojourning um, in Babylon, right? Uh, Babylon, obviously, is a huge theme, uh, both in history, uh, in literature, right? In the Old Testament, it was an actual uh, people, the Chaldean people who had this empire, the Babylonian Empire, who conquered, right, uh, lots of territory and peoples, including Jerusalem. We'll see in a moment. We'll go through some of that history. Uh, so Babylon, right? Babylon AD was a... Uh, Apparently, um, you know, uh, <laughs> a, a late, <laughs> late nineteen eighties rock band from the Bay Area. Babylon Five, a stupid sci-fi show. Babylon in the New Testament um, is kind of this imagery of kind of the man, the evil dominant empire force, anti-Christ, anti-Jesus dominated thing. So, and then Babylon throughout history and literature has been used as kind of a place of exile, a place of not belonging, a place of being dominated. And so why do we need to talk about this? Well, our sojourn, believe it or not, even like especially in America, America is not our primary allegiance. Christians exist and have existed under all sorts of empires and influences and political regimes. Uh, whether you like America or not today, um, I, I, I like free market democracy. I like representative government, personally, Republican representation, democracy, democratic government. I like those things personally. Um, I, I commend them to others. I'm not a, I don't think communism yeah. is the answer, yeah. uh, but it's very, very easy to become captive to the dominant empire of your age as a Christian. And we cannot and must not do that. Now, here's the thing. There's a great, great example for us throughout the scriptures, God's covenant people going through various things and trials, but there's a particular epoch in, in biblical history and actual history, they overlap here, um, where a group of people are under the uh, domination of the Babylonian Empire, taken away from their homes into exile, and they needed to re 
retain their mission, retain their identity, and retain their hearts before God. Jesse, you're a pastor. Tell us a little bit about the history about Babylonian exile in the Old Testament. What's going on with that? Yeah, I mean, I think you you nailed it as far as uh, Babylon. The Babylonian captivity isn't even just something that happens. uh, Well, it is something that happens historically, but it, you know, Babylon as a kind of uh, uh, enemy of the people of God and representative enemy of God is throughout the scriptures. Um, You know, ultimately the Babylonian captivity was completed in, in 587 B.C., um, that's a date where Jerusalem fully falls, the full fall yeah. of Jerusalem, the final kind of hammer stroke of, of Babylon and the, and the captivity and, uh, of, of, uh, Israel, uh, or of Judah. Um, but really it goes back, right? I mean, in some ways it goes all the way back to the tower of Babel, right? Like this, this idea, this word is the same, same root word. And it's, so you see from the, even the very first, kind of picture of the people rebelling against God, that there's a Babel, the Babylonians. Uh, but we know in Daniel 1, 1, the time frame for, for, for Daniel, it seems to be an early kind of mission from Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king into Judah uh, after a triumph over Egypt at the battle of Carchemish, yeah. uh, which is 605 BC. So you got an incursion there. That's almost 20 years Nebuchadnezzar's before. Nebuchadnezzar's kind of leading the army kind of, yeah. Yep, and then he he completes his conquest of the Egyptian-held territories, including uh, the Egyptian-backed Jehoiakim, the king of the land of Judah. That's 2 Kings 23-34 tells about that. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dad dies. He returns to Babylon. Babylon, he's crowned king. So right now he's like a military conquest invader. Goes back as king, and then he comes back. uh, And Oh, and Daniel and his friends were taken along with others. Uh, somewhere in that frame of time frame, you know, after that first incursion into Judah. Yeah, so some of the Daniel and his friends were taken. Now, the interesting thing about that is there's a there's a reason why this is happening. This is fairly common practices of ancient empires. Many times uh, people would look at, say, the Persians or the Babylonians or different people that even the Mongolians maybe had a little different practice. But these ancient Near Eastern empires, their goals, or the Ottoman Empire would operate this way later on in history, their goals wasn't like, hey, let's just go destroy everyone in the whole earth. They wanted to rule. They wanted to rule them. Yeah, they wanted to take them over. They didn't didn't even, uh, uh, yeah, you're right. That's uh, So in a lot of ways, they didn't want to kill everybody. (laughs) Right. Then there's no one left to rule. Yeah, uh, work the land, pay them taxes. To provide them from. grain, these kinds of things. And yeah. so their practice was, uh, the practice of empire was to conquer and assimilate the people. That's right. Now, Jesse, I find it my duty uh, to educate the world on uh, strange sci-fi references uh, from time to time. And so I think one of the best pictures I've seen of this conquer and assimilate comes from the world of Star Trek, The Next Generation. Um, and I used to say this all the time at, at our church in New Jersey is like, hey, you don't want the culture to Borg you in. And so if you're a nerd out there, a geek, you understand who the Borg is. But for all of other folks who want to make fun of people who like sci-fi and such, let me let me give you some education on the Borg. Well, the Borg were this kind of series of cyborgs, right? Kind of makes sense, called the Borg. Oh, I get it. But they had like this collective ability to connect it cybernetically to like what you would call the hive mind. So they all thought together. They viewed themselves not as individuals. It's like kind of technological cyborg communism where someone is conquered and then assimilated. So they had this phrase, right? Resistance is futile. You must be assimilated. Your biological and technological life will become part of our own. And so this is the goal of empire, conquer, 
right? You, you know, beat down the resistance, get their army so they can't fight you back, and then assimilate you. Now, the way they did that was they many times would take the best and the brightest, right? Okay, we're going to conquer Radford. We're going to go into Radford. We're going to defeat their army, and then we're going to take the best and brightest, grab some professors, maybe some pastors, um, and, and we're going to take them back and re-educate them, right? Give them a new religion, give them new culture, give them new philosophy, practices of the conqueror, right? Um very, very common way people are assimilated. So, and then allow those people to rule the province of Radford, right? Because they now represent Babylon, but yet they're still trusted because they're from that people. This is what was done. So Daniel and his friends, right? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego um, were taken to be re-educated yeah. by a certain people. Now, these people were kind of interesting folks in the way they operated. Um, and I think the prophet Habakkuk was kind of... You know, crying out, God, why, why are people so messed up? Why is there so much injustice? Why is there some junk? God, why won't you do anything? And then, and then God says he's going to do something, but what he does is probably not what they were looking forward to. I think that's in Habakkuk. Yeah, you mentioned Habakkuk. I got Habakkuk 1, 5 through 11 here. I'm going to read it. Uh, he says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. You know that verse is you, I, I, so I, Christian you know, people. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. when I was first on staff with Crew, yeah. uh, I, w- I had no influence in what verse got put on our like T-shirt. T-shirts. That was the verse he got put on T-shirts. Yeah, because people use this. It's like, look, it's like, look he's going to do awesome things. We're going to have a revival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this verse is about God's people getting conquered by For the devil. For behold, yeah. I am raising up the, t- the Chaldeans, the bitter and nasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Wow. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their god. So we, he, we didn't put the rest of the verse on the on the t-shirt. You didn't put the rest of that on there. Like, <laughs> behold, I'm doing a thing you would not believe. If I told you, well, I'm going to crush. I'm you. bringing the Babylonians <laughs> to crush you. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's serious time. There's two things in that. One, um, the injustice of the people of God was going to be punished. Right? There's violence. There's injustice. It was going to be dealt with. That's a sober, sober thought for every people, ever. Sober thought for American people. Um, and, but yet God is still doing this, right? So his people are going to be brought into exile and God was going to be in this. He's not going to be out of it completely. This is his purpose, right? Um, both to show himself just and the one who's going to eventually justify people. Yeah. So, so people get caught up in this, right? And so the beginning of the book of Daniel is quite interesting, right? Um, because we're going to meet some of these young people who were kind of, you know, maybe sharp, Maybe they got a pretty good SAT score, and they and they were taken for reassimilation to become what 
not good followers of Yahweh. Good, good Babylonian citizens. Good, good, good represent good representatives little, of the good little of the realm, right? Of the realm, good, good yeah. little Babylonian. So, so this is Daniel one. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch. Now, eunuch, obviously, they were fixed physically, so they couldn't hook up with the king's harem, kind of thing. But they were huge, like secretary of state type people. They were like running the business of the empire. The chief eunuch to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility youth without blemish of good appearance, skillful in wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, and learning, competent to stand in the king's palace. And here's what they wanted to do with them. And to teach them the literature, that's the stories and art, and the language, that's the framework that they live in of the of the Chaldeans. So if you're going into this, right, and ancient Babylon obviously was very, very impressive. It was dominant. There were pictures of their gods. They would have been brought in as captives through a city gate. There was a, a wonder of the ancient world. Um, this was a place designed to say, oh, wow, these people are amazing. And they were going to be given some privileges. Yeah good food, um, but they had to become Babylonians. Yeah, they, the, 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 the intense pressure that they had to assimilate was not just the pressure of, uh, look at all this power, but also like, Hey, come in. You could, you can be part of this. Yeah, you can participate yeah. in this. You're going to, you're going to have a job. You're going to, yours is the kingdom. You're going to be an important person here. Yeah. And so a lot of times this story in the old Testament because it's such a Sunday school thing, right? Like people want to draw Daniel in the lion's den. There's like coloring pages of yep. Daniel being courageous, God protecting him, or, you know, people being persecuted and thrown into furnace and God supernaturally supervening, uh, protecting them. Because those stories are so, so, uh, wild, miraculous, and powerful, sometimes the context of these stories is lost because these people had every reason to capitulate on their identity, right? And this is very important. If you think about who you are, your own character, who your family is, right? These people were, were for, from the nation of, of Israel, Judah, uh, who their covenant community is. All of that was defined by Yahweh, not by Babylon. Yeah. And so these vignettes we get from Daniel's lives are not random, right? When he, when he says, oh, you can't pray anymore to any other thing, but he goes and prays just as he always did facing Jerusalem. Yeah, that that is him protecting his devotion, right? Yeah. His character is, or when they are saying, "Hey, you got to bow down to this statue and honor and worship the king," and all this stuff, uh, and then and then everybody stands down. It's like the guy in that Nazi picture, right, where everybody's doing the Hitler stuff, and he's standing there. No, I'm not in. Right? Yeah. They do this, and it's not just to give us coloring book pages. It's to show, hey, we're in Babylon, but we we will give on some things, right? Um, but we won't give on everything. Now, if you look at Daniel's life, man, it's wild because he, he lived his life with what I call boundaries, right? And excellence. Um, he was diligent to protect who he was, who he worshiped, right? Uh, from he, I'm not going to eat the foods that the Kings, I'm going to eat according to the, the holiness codes of yeah. the law, yep. right? I'm going to be set apart for God. That's what the, the whole, the weird diets and all that stuff oh, were set apart for God. I'm going to keep that. Uh, and, and Hey, t let me do that. I'm going to be better than I'm going to be at best in class at Babylon U, Right. And this is, this is, he's, but at the same time, he's fully in the culture. This is a, 
passage we could read over quickly and miss, but this is in Daniel 1, 17 through 20. It says, as for the, the four youth, God gave them. Now look, who gave them? God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, man, they had these schools where they practiced like dream seeing and vision interpretation. And the Bible says here, God gives him learning and skill. So he's going to Babylon U and he's first in his class. Yeah. And he's going through, you know, like I say, he's like at Harry, weird Harry, Harry Potter, Potter School yeah. for Wizards, man. Yeah. And he's getting he's getting A's. Yep. He's getting A's. Um, I think of my cousin who uh, did a PhD in biochemistry at Vanderbilt and believed in the Bible. She's like, oh, yeah, I, I still believe in, in the create in creation of the world, but I get A's in that in that stuff that I, yeah. have, to, that I have to do. So at the end of the time when the king commanded that they should brought in, they're, they're graduating from Babylon U, coming in, right? They should be brought in before the king, and they got to perform. They got to be good. If not, they lose their head. The chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke to them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They were obviously renamed, got other names too, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, therefore, they stood... Before the king and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than who all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. So guys, when we sojourn in Babylon, we need to give diligence and excellence to living in our culture. Yeah. Um, that means in terms of our, uh, the way we care for our character, the way we go about our work, or if you're a young person, your educational, uh, abilities, and there are going to be some things that you're taught. You may not even believe, and you may think, but, but yet you get skilled in them. Yeah. I think these three issues of character, family, uh, and church or community, right? I think today. Right. We need to give care to these things. Yeah. We need to give care to who we are before God. We need to to care about the covenant of marriage in our own home uh, and raising our families. And we need to care about the gospel community defined by Jesus, where Jesus is king. Our allegiance is to him as Lord. And not so that we can just kind of have this little enclave that's put us put apart to the side. But so that these our character, our lives, our families, our churches overlap with people and culture, and we can invite people into a new reality uh, that's defined by Jesus and out of the chaos, right, of the cultural worlds that the church travels through. Yeah, in, in a sense, what we're doing is inviting people who might be more in the retreating world. Like, let's just separate as much as we can to say, hey, take a look at Daniel here, man. He was, yeah. you know, he, he, was, he, was, he was learning. He was in the middle of it. He was working. Uh, and yet he, he demonstrates how not to... Uh, how not to capitulate and give in and become become Babylonian just yes. because he's he's because he's still he's still a person of God, right? That's right. That's but you're right. also we're also on the other side saying, um, hey, don't don't become Babylonian. Yeah, don't you know? become Babylonian. <laughs> Maintain your identity while you do right, some Babylonian right. things. <laughs> and, and, and in some ways, the uh, the the threefold kind of uh, from in to out, right? From character to family to community or church, you kind of ask similar maybe but different sets of auditing questions or like what yeah. you know that's the way i think about this even today i'm thinking through what are the what are the ways in which i'm allowing the, the 
uh, maybe the culture in a negative sense, the world in a negative sense yeah. to shape um, the current my American culture. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, or, or shape my family life uh, or my church in ways that, that need to say, wait a minute, I need to be fully out on these yeah. things. And here's the thing about Daniel and his friends. This wasn't their choice. Yeah. Um, they would choose the kingdom of God. We would choose the kingdom of heaven, heaven tomorrow, God, let's do that. Right. Mm. Until then, this is something God, God determined, right? Yeah. And, and even the fact that he gave them two things, wisdom and skill. And Jesse, I think what you're talking about is exactly that. that's what I need, what you need. We're not, this is hard. This hard stuff, yeah. friends, right? Um, where can I participate in this cultural world with wisdom, right? So I don't get conquered and dominated and assimilated, bored in, right? Um, where do I need skill? Right to to work a job to influence to be a, a contributor to the good of the city, yeah. the good of our culture, uh, without becoming it. Right, and, but there's some ways that you do become it. We can't help it that we're uh, Americans living in twenty first century. This is the time and place set for us by that God. God put us. That's right. That's right. That's right. He placed us right here. How do we live there? So he's fully in, right? He's at Babylon U. He's getting A's. He's at the king's court. He's going to be one of the king's trusted counselors. He's better than all the other dudes uh, who are the magicians and enchanters in that time. But you know, go ahead. Don't you think right now? So we we're not we're not we're not old men, right? We don't have a lot of white hair. <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> I'm middle. I'm, I'm we're middle aged. We're middle aged men. Middle age men yeah. Okay, we live so, longer uh, now. You, you're right on the uh, right on the ape, right on the bottom of the. 47. Uh, I'm, I'm on the upswing. You're on the upswing. Okay, of the I'm happiness curve, 47.2 is the down point in our culture. That's right. You still have an appointment I, with that. I, it's, <laughs> it's all up it's for me. I'll be 48 in uh, December. <laughs> very depressing because yeah. I don't want it to get seven years worse than this. But, <laughs> um, uh, but I feel like in this particular moment in, in, the, in, the, in the Western church is ripe for, for this, for figuring out what it looks like to become a kind of weird uh, alternative community that is fully out on certain things uh, and is so fully in on other things that that uh, we're a weird alternative community that can't be con- just just discounted because we're actually skillful yeah. and wise at things that yeah. not, don't just benefit the weird alternative community but benefit our neighbors. Look, look at the stuff right in the direction of Christians that we that we probably know and know personally. There there is a, a Trumpism. Right. That is, is some Christians think are great. Right. It's hard to imagine. You're like, Oh, Oh, he's owning them. He's doing that. He's got to do it. That's what yeah. you got to do. He's to King own. Cyrus, the, uh, oh. the, you know, who, who restored Israel out of yeah, yeah, Babylonian yeah. captivity. Yeah. yeah. So you got full Trumpism. You got full, like, you know, worldly post deconstruction, post modern view, burn it all down. Yeah. Views of truth or yeah. stuff that would divide people racially and, you know, and not build a future together. There's Christians going that direction. There's those that say, just, you know, let's take an option that moves us away with counter institutions that are fully separated and insular. You're, you're talking about like maybe the Benedict option. Yeah, a little bit I, like that. I think yeah. you should read, you should write a book called the Daniel option. <laughs> called Sojourning in Babylon. Uh, Daniel, uh, Daniel Fast sold a lot of books. Yeah. The, <laughs> there probably is a Daniel. I think, I think Keller may have an article or something. The, Daniel, the Daniel option. option. Well, there it goes. Um, Can't yeah, write it. He now. should write that book. Um, but sojourning in Babylon yeah. has this fully in, fully out reality. Daniel was fully in. He got good grades at Babylon U. He was part of the culture. He part of influenced the culture directionally. Yeah. He got, he got seated at some tables because God's grace and providence and giving him skill and wisdom. We need to pray that for ourselves. Yeah. We need to pray that for our families and our churches. Now he's also fully out. 
right? He was out on the food thing, right? I know holiness set apart for Yahweh. He was out on devotion thing. I'm going to pray every day, just as I always did. I love that line. He prayed each day, three times, just as he had always yeah. done. Uh, his allegiance, he's not bowing down. He's not going to worship some false idol. He's not going to worship some king. He's not going to worship any man. He's not going to worship something made by human hands. His heart, his identity was a worshiper of Yahweh. Uh, those who have been bought at a price, who belong to Jesus, who confess in the midst of empires that Jesus is Lord, um, have to maintain that distinctiveness. Otherwise, we will become whatever Babylonian flavor of the day, and we will be assimilated. Mm. Mm. Now, this is where we're going on the podcast, Jesse. Um, this is why resistance thinking is so important. It's not futile. It's not futile. Yeah, resistance is not futile, right? You don't have to be assimilated. Um, your cultural and religious life does not You don't not have become, to be reprogrammed. You don't have to be assimilated. You Amen. don't have to be called seven of nine in some anonymous Boer collective name. Um, here's the thing. As the programs in Babylonian Empire sought to reprogram Daniel and his friends, right, to adopt what? Their truths, their values, their practices. God has called us to live as a resistance community against the inroads of empire, right? I love, the, I love that. I, I love that language of resistance community. Uh, it reminds me of one of my heroes in the faith, which, which, which will not be a surprise, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, who, uh, who really it was a, a lot of really his ministry was seeking to create alternative resistance communities, yeah. uh, communities that were founded on the radical um, discipleship, resistance communities of discipleship that were, in a sense, founded on the Sermon on the Mount. That's right. right? That's what a cost of discipleship is. It was written essentially to say, uh, we need to, we need to look so, so uniquely strange because we are in a radical discipleship to Jesus through living right. out the Sermon on the Mount. That's right. Uh, and, and, and I love that, that, that what that does then is that it creates a, a, uh, a community that resists this kind of, uh, assimilation, this in that captivity. Little, in that little book that's down there, uh, life together, life together describes yeah. it. That's right. Finkenwald where, uh, yeah. which has been an inspiration for me with the Bonhoeffer house. This is an alternative community of discipleship right. that is by its very nature resisting. Yeah. It's a, it's a community of resistance. That's not, that's not violent. That's not, I mean, it, it's not assimilating, but it's, but it's also they're you know, they're out cutting wood for their neighbors yeah. and playing the piano and playing soccer and, Yep. It's not like they're just going, well, we're going to... And part of their cultural world. They were under the yeah. domination of the Nazis. It was an underground community. They're speaking German. Uh, they're dealing That's with right. their time in history. Um, and I think, if anything, and I see this from the influence of political and academic rhetoric on Christians, uh, from what we, people would call left and right. Yeah. And I'm not saying both or this kind of capitulate oh just both are doing this bad so both is the that's not the answer there is a there is a distinctive way for christians to interact in this culture and i think both left and right fear it's only happening to the other but i think there's capitulation and assimilation that can happen is happening um and we need to be aware of that and uh and resist it 
you know, for us, our sojourn is to also live as nonconformists within a culture. We have a different path. We're, we're, and I love this. I've always seen Christianity as a rebellion. I don't know if it's just because my dad's, it was an atheist guy, agnostic guy. It's like, for me, being a Christian was a, it was a big deal. Um, I got called names in my own family for being all of a sudden guy had Bible verses in his bathroom trying to memorize the Bible. Like yeah. what, who's brainwashing? And I, well, Jesus is. And that, that went weird with my parents. Um, but there's a reality, right? We're rebels for love, for mercy mercy for good news. Uh, Jesus Christ has a resistant community within the cultures of the world. And so that community has to have practices uh, by which it renews its mind uh, from the washing of the water of the word and maintains its identity. So renew our minds and maintain identity. We're to hold fast to the words of our leader, live together as a family on his mission, engaging in what I call an active resisting by invading the dominant culture with the light of the gospel. And so we have a countercultural story which must right hold forth both light of the gospel uh, and life to people uh, in, a, in a hostile world. You, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And so we're a countercultural community that both can be seen, tasted. And, you know, look, that's where I think, you know, we, we, we like having our kids, friends around our family. That's a, that's a good thing, whether Christian or non-Christian. We have this call, right, in the borderlands uh, to, to be people of influence who aren't the dominant power um, and uh, trusting the one who does has sovereign power overall. And one of, one of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm interested in thinking about more going forward with this is the idea that, uh, you know, when I came uh, up in the faith, it was in kind of in the midst of the kind of cultural wars. And, and even what I was taught a lot was like Christian worldview thinking, uh, try to get into positions of power and, in, in, you know, whether it's politically or like be a mole. Yeah. And, and, and in a sense, kind of um, transform at the highest levels, this, your organization to, to become more Christian or get in so that you can, you can share the gospel and convert people. Right. So, mm-hmm. and I'm not rejecting mm-hmm. either of those. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, you know, it we, has a place. Right. And we are meant to proclaim, especially the proclaiming of the gospel to anyone yeah. uh, without partiality. But, but I think there's another way that we can be faithful as a kind of resistance community. And it's, it's, it's when we stand just by virtue of who we are as a kind of um, confronting of the world. That's right. So when Daniel doesn't, doesn't capitulate, just his very action of having integrity and, and being faithful to God is a kind of uh, judgment. It is a kind of confronting yeah. of what's being asked of him. And so I, I think there's part of that for us, too, is to think it's through prophetic. Like, yeah, yeah, part of my job is not even to be prophetic with my mouth necessarily, but to stand as a kind of yeah. uh, representative of a word yeah. who confronts. That's why in this idea of resistance, our posture in place has to be like Jesus. Yes. We can't have a posture that's, that's arrogant and, and, you know, yeah, and that is not what I mean. Yeah, I mean yeah. more of you, as you are the meek one. That's right. That's uh, right. And you don't give in to something. You don't go to, that's right. That's exactly right. You are confronting even without having to say anything because you're, you're standing up to things and then you're going to suffer unjustly. That's right. Uh, and then be a witness in that way. And I think that's exactly right. So the posture in place, right? How do we, how do we stand? How do we serve amongst the world? Are we servants for the sake of Christ or are we servants of our own self and kingdoms uh, as Christians? I think the answer is evident. The path is sometimes unclear. Uh, and where is our place? We can have a place. God can put, he put, he put, 
Esther for such time yeah. this raised her up. He put Daniel and his friends in in a place. William Wilberforce. Yeah, William Wilberforce. Yep. Uh, Richard Wombrand under communism in Romania. Mm-hmm. Um, there there are times and places, and God sovereignly determines them. Whether you're at, at the top of some chain or you're just uh, bottom up. Right, grassroots. I think the Christian movement has always functioned best when it's uh, ground up rather than uh, many times it's on the ground because being ground up uh, rather than seeking power and prominence. It really doesn't belong to us anyway. This is clear. This is in, uh, in the New Testament, First Peter, and if you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile, right? This is the sojourning language. We're, we're in exile. We're going somewhere still, but we're here now. How do we, we should be knowing God is the judge of all things. We should examine ourselves. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of, of a lamb without spot or blemish. So we belong to this community because we were bought with the life of Messiah himself so that we, we don't, we don't roll the way we used to roll. We roll his way. Now he was foreknown before the foundation world, but made manifest in the last times for your sake, who through him, that's us. We are believers of God who in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that, and this is so important for all of us. Where does our faith and hope rest? So that our faith and hope are in God. And then someday, Jesse, where, where's it end up, man? Uh, in, at the end of time, I think we have a, a good word, uh, to end. I think you maybe want to, uh, have yeah, a, revelation yeah. eleven fifteen. then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And there's some good Christmas view that takes that as a chorus, and he shall reign forever and ever. That's our hope, friends. Our hope's not November. Our hope is eternal. It comes from the living Christ. The Gospel Underground is a podcast that flows out of partnership with the Bonhoeffer House. Review us on iTunes. Five stars are acceptable, and we want comments, feedback. Send them to us. We'd love to take up your questions here on the Underground. You can email us at info at gospelunderground.org. We are a dialogue taking place in our borderlands between the church and culture. And we really want you out there. God wants you there. Peace. Peace.